Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, and I hope that we can see in God's Word what we experience in life. So if you can, would you please stand for the reading of God's powerful, authoritative Word. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Oh, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Be honored. Be glorified. At this moment when we look at your word, we have spoken to you through singing, through prayers, And now we beg you to speak to us. Your word is alive and powerful to change us, capture us, and transform us. Help me to be faithful and help the congregation to be faithful, Lord. We need you, Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. Some weeks ago, I was reading the World Magazine. I don't know if you know World Magazine. It's a very good magazine. And I was reading World Magazine, and I came across an ad- advertisement that caught my attention. And in this adverti- advertisement, a full page, there was a picture of a Hindu man, an old Hindu man, big beard. And, and it was saying the advertisement, What if the church's current missions strategy is actually limiting the global spread of the gospel? So I went to the website, made me curious, I went to their website, and the name was already interesting, called The Return Mandate. Its primary purpose is to rethink missions in the life of the church. Instead of going or sending missionaries, we should be just supporting local Christians in different parts of the world. Therefore, instead of going and sending, we must be what? Returning. That's the whole idea behind the return mandate. And then we read a story behind, you start to understand. The men who started this project, they were businessmen. Very into money. And praise the Lord for a businessman. We've got to be always balanced because their view was all about budget and money. How to better spend the church's money. And in their minds, sending people to the mission field, sending people abroad was just a waste of money. Therefore, they came up with this new project, the return mandate. Instead of going, sending, we just give money. 
It would be foolish of us to think the, the church should not rethink about its missions strategy. That would be foolish and naive of us to think that all that we hear about missions are actually biblical missions. So much of missions today in, in many churches are sending high school kids to some parts of Central America to help with an orphanage, help with a building. Most of these kids are not even saved the worst of the church instead of sending the best of the church to equip those people with sound doctrine. So let us not be naive and say, no, we have been doing missions wonderfully. That's how most people have been to missions trip. High school, I went to help an orphanage. The person probably was not even a Christian. Many churches support missionaries whom they don't even know. And most of these missionaries are called vacationaries because they are not missionaries, but they're just spending a whole life of vacation. I knew people in China who called themselves missionaries. They have no, no fellowship in a local church, and most of the time was getting money and spending vacation in resorts in Thailand. There's a lot of that people call missions, and it's basically philanthropic activities. And there's no gospel, no preaching, no proclamation, no church. It's just helping people to get better water, better housing, and they go to hell with a better house and better water in their belly. Biblical missions... Biblical missiology is a vital reflection of the health of a church. Jesus says the where our treasure is, there is what? Our hearts. And if we treasure biblical missiology, biblical missions, there will be our hearts. And our hearts will be imitating the heart of the triune God, who is a God who sends the Father sending the Son, the Son sending the Spirit, costly sending. So I agree with the return mandate that we need to rethink our missions strategy. I agree with them. We need to think about missions strategy. But you go so far as to say that we should not be going in, in short or long missions trip, that's unacceptable. To say that Christians in America should simply send their money and stop sacrificing their comfort in order to do missions is a radical error. And that's what we have been seeing. The U.S., who was, who used to be a place where so many missionaries were sent from, is stopping sending missionaries. Less and less missionaries from the U.S. Why? I don't want to lose my comfort here. Look at my house here. Are you kidding me going to live at that place there? I can just send money. And honestly, only those who are truly involved, like so many of you, involved in praying, giving sacrificially, in sending, 
know how every single cent was well worth spent. We spent thousands of dollars in this trip. We spent thousands of dollars in this trip. And I don't regret spending one cent. Because we are going, we are giving, and we are receiving in God's economy. And that's what I want us to see in Romans, Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul tells us through doctrine what we experience in practice. This strong feeling of being mutually encouraged by the church in Africa and we encouraging them is not just experience, that's doctrine. The letter to the Romans, we all love the letter to the Romans. And we all think that the letter to the Romans was basically a letter written inside a seminary. Right? So much doctrine there. It's tempting for us to think that Paul was a scholar teaching at a seminary and writing a book on systematic theology. And that's so far from the truth. Paul was an apostle. He was a pastor. He was a missionary. And he's writing this letter primarily primarily to prepare the churches in Rome for when he comes to receive financial support so he can go to Spain, proclaim the gospel. That's why he's writing this letter, to prepare the Roman church for when he comes, that they will be ready knowing him, to support him in his mission to Spain. So here is the outline of this morning's sermon. Paul's praise or thanksgiving, verse 8. Paul's prayer, verses 9 through 10. And then Paul's purpose, verses 11 through 12. And I know that none of us here is an apostle. None of us are the apostle Paul. But we all must imitate Paul in his praise, in his prayer, and in his purpose. This is applicable to all of us. So, Look at verse 8 with me in your Bibles. Verse 8, Paul's praise or thanksgiving. Paul says, first, first here is of priority. It would be like, before anything else, I just want to tell you that I thank my God through Jesus Christ. And that's beautiful how Paul opens. That's through Paul's letters, we saw in Philippians how there is the thanksgiving section. And that's where we are here in Romans. And it's just Paul telling how thankful he is because of the Lord's work in their lives. And he says, I thank whom? Who is Paul thanking? Who is he thanking? God or my God? See, sometimes there is a difference between thanking God and thanking my God. He's mine. Remember the covenantal language? I will be their God, they will be my people. So Paul knows he belongs to this God, this triune God. And he says with emphasis, I thank my God. He's mine, I'm His. I wonder when was the last time that we talk about God in a way that people truly thought, wow, this person truly belongs to his God and God is his. One scholar says, God was the object of Paul's trust and love. 
the one to whom he owed everything. Was it not God who had changed his bitter, this bitter persecutor into an enthusiastic promoter of the gospel? We ought to demonstrate affection and love and passion for our God. Not just God, but my God. And then he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. We just had Thanksgiving this week, and so many people talk about thanking God. But the truth is there is no thanking God apart from Jesus Christ. Nobody can please God or thank God apart from Jesus Christ. He is the perfect mediator. And that's why Paul thanks his God through Jesus Christ. And that's why when we pray, how do we finish our prayers? In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus taught us to do that. Ask in my name. That's why we finish our prayers in Jesus' name. Because our prayers can only come through the mediation of Jesus Christ. It's not just something that we do for doing, placing the Jesus' name there. No, it's because we are praying through Jesus, His name, His work, His character. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's thanking God through Jesus. And look at verse 8, the heart of Paul's thanksgiving. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. For all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul thanks God, not because he got something material. Oh, now I can thank God, I got a new car. Oh, now I can thank God, I got a new home. Oh, now I can thank God, I got a spouse. Now I can be thankful to God. I got a baby that I so longed for. No. His heart's full of gratitude. Why? 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 Because he sees that there are churches that are being faithful to God. That's why he enlarges his heart with gratitude. He hears, he sees other churches, other Christians walking in faithfulness to God. For all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Faith is not invisible. Faith is always visible. I'm so tired of people saying when people die, who knows? No, nobody knows. The person spent their whole life hating God, not showing fruits of faithfulness, and suddenly we need to say, I don't know if that person is saved or not. Who knows? We know. Faith is visible. We show our faith through obedience, through holiness. That's what the Bible says. By faith, so-and-so did that. By faith, so-and-so did that. And we see, because in chapter 16, verse 19, you can see there in your Bibles, chapter 16, verse 19, look how Paul says, For your obedience is known to all. Now we put in parallel chapter 1, verse 8, and you put in parallel with Romans 16, verse 19, and you see that faith and obedience is what? The same thing. Every true faith will lead to obedience. So this is an obedient church, obedient to the Word of God. So what sets Paul's heart on fire is to hear that a local church is walking in obedience to the Lord. 
Frank Thielman, in his commentary, he says, Paul enjoyed both hearing and passing along reports of the faithfulness of believers in various parts of the world. Because these reports encourage other believers by providing examples for them to follow. And by providing a reason to praise God. Paul believed that other Christians took encouragement from the knowledge that even in Rome, the greatest city in the world, as they knew it, there existed a vibrant community of people who had believed the gospel. This is why he thanks God. And that's something we can start practicing this week. Thanking God for other faithful churches. And applying that to our trip to Africa, that's exactly all we saw. We saw a faithful church, an obedient church. Like Rick was mentioned here. That was a beautiful comment that Rick made. That's a church. Christians in that church, they live for that church. Their whole life is centered in that church. Just like most of you. We saw a faithful church. And the reports encourage us. And I pray that when people hear about our church all around the world, they also will be what? Encouraged. Amen? Here is, let's move to the next point, Paul's prayer, verses 9 through 10. Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking, begging, that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. Paul now, Paul now declares that he's often bringing these Christians. And here's what's amazing. Paul has not founded this church. He didn't plant this church. He doesn't know all those Christians there. He knows some. We can see by chapter 16 that he knows some of the Christians who are there. But he doesn't know these Christians. And yet, what does he do? He prays for them without ceasing. Always mentioning them in their prayers. And sometimes we think we can only pray for those whom we, we, we know. And it's a beautiful thing that I have been seeing in this church. Your faithfulness in praying for the missionaries that we support. And many of whom you don't even know personally. But you were praying for them, just like Paul was praying for these Christians, whom most of them he did not know. And he says, For God is my witness. God is my witness. God, the omniscient, all powerful, all holy God, he calls us. Look at what Paul is doing. He's saying, If you bring me to the courtroom, I can call God as my witness. Because He knows my heart and my mind. I will call God as my witness that I'm always to declare with veracity that I'm always praying for you. Aren't you tired of Christians who say, Oh, I will pray for you about that. I will pray for you about that. And they never pray. Just a formality. No, brother, you come to me and tell me what I lay my hand on you right there and I'll pray for you right there. 
Because I don't want to say I'm going to be praying for you if I'm not going to be praying for you. And we need to stop with this Christian formality of saying, I'll be praying for you and when you're not doing that. That's a lie. Would we be, would, would we be willing to call God as our witness? <laughs> to verify? <laughs> so that's what Paul is doing. That's his heart. He loves them. He loves them. It's in the center of his heart. The churches of Christ. Always praying for them. Without ceasing that I mention you. Look at who is in the center of his prayer. You, other Christians. So much of our prayers are centered on whom? Bless me, give me. And then Paul says, verse 10, asking, asking. The word that Paul uses here for asking means to plead for something and has an air of urgency about it. He's pleading. Pleading with God, crying out. And what is he crying out? Look at that, verse 10. Asking, pleading, that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. What Paul is saying is I don't know God's secret will, I know his revealed will. So I pray. I pray that if that's His secret will, that He will open the door for me to come to you. Look okay, at He says, asking, pleading that somehow by God's will. He's not talking about the revealed will, and we need to understand that there is the revealed will, the Scriptures, and there is a secret will that belongs to God, and He doesn't reveal to us. Amen? And I was thinking about God's will, the secret will that we have no idea. And of course, whatever we are asking, it has to be grounded in, in the revealed will of God. As I was thinking about this God's will and how sometimes it's so different from ours in the sense of when it's going to take place. Because Paul he tells, he tells them that he has been trying to go to Rome and God has been closing the doors. I think it's verse 13. He says, I do, not, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. So he has been trying to go and the Lord has been closing the doors. That's, that's how he planted the church in Philippi. Remember, they were going to a different place. The Lord closed the doors. They had to go to a different place. So sometimes God's secret will doesn't match with the time and the ways that we were hoping to accomplish certain things. I came to the U.S. to go to a Bible college because as soon as the Lord saved me, I was certain there was going to be a missionary in Mozambique. That's how I came to the U.S. Because somebody told me, okay, before you become a missionary, you need to go and prepare yourself. I was like, oh, thanks for telling me. Because nobody ever told me that. I just, just go. Now go prepare yourself. Go study. After two decades, I'm able to go to Mozambique. 
see how doesn't always play the way we were thinking. So many things took place the weeks prior we traveled under God's will, His secret will. I got horribly sick. Then you have all that testing to do. We get to the airport, <laughs> and the lady says, No, you cannot go. Your last name in your passport is not matching your last name in the ticket. God's will to go in different ways. We get there, come back. What happened this week? They're shutting down travel to Mozambique, South Africa. We would not be able, probably would be a, we'd not be able to go this coming week. So it's just, we just trust God. He knows the best. His ways are the best. In all areas of life, jobs, kids, family. Amen? And then we finish here. We need to finish Paul's purpose. He says, For I long, here's the four, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Here is the reason why Paul has been praying, begging, pleading with God to open a door. Why? Because he longs. He longs to see them. I don't know if I have the... Let me see here. No, I don't have. But the verb that Paul used here to long, the verb to long for, one scholar says it's an emphatic word that elsewhere in the biblical Greek could refer to the longing of a nursing infant for its mother's milk or to a deer's instinct to find water. Paul longs, longs to see them. And notice the verb, I long to see. I long to do what? To hear about you? I long to hear about you. Is that what Paul says? What does it require for you to see someone? Especially when they didn't have cell phones, WhatsApp, Skype. There is an aspect of the Christian life that we need to have this face-to-face. And that's what Paul longs for. I long to see you. I long to hug you with my arms. I long to kiss you with my face. I long to hold your hands with my hands. I long to sit at the table with you and eat with you. That's what Paul longs for. With Christians in different parts of the world. And that's what we should be longing for. We all should long for that. Because if you don't have this longing... You're going to have a horrible time in heaven and in the new heavens and the new earth. Because that's what's all going to be. We surrounded by people from all different nations and languages and tribes worshiping the triune God. And we better start desiring that right now. Otherwise we'll be miserable. The end, the end of all theology is love for people. 
If all the theology that we are learning is not enlarging our hearts to spread the gospel, to be with other Christians, then we need a heart surgery. Sound doctrine, deep theology will always impact our affections. Real men, real women of God will always have deep affections and will manifest those affections. A man or a woman who is stoic, don't show emotions, you have nothing to do with the gospel of Christ. Where God sends His Son, His Son dies for us, sends His Spirit, joy, love, affection, it's all part of life in the Trinity. And then that manifests to one another. Paul says, For I long to see you, and here's one of the reasons why he wants to see them, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He wants to see them to serve them. He doesn't want to see them to be served, but he wants to see them to serve them, and he will serve them by doing what? Imparting or sharing, that's the idea behind this word, sharing spiritual gifts with them. And we are prone to think that spiritual gift is always what? Immaterial. We tend to think that spiritual gift, gift has nothing to do with something material. What is a spiritual gift? It's a gift coming from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit implies the new covenant where we all have the Spirit dwelling within us, empowering us. And then we have the gift that comes from Him. And there are so many gifts that He gives us. Let me ask you, is suffering and persecution a spiritual gift? For you has been granted not only to believe, but to suffer for His namesake. Has been given as a gift. Let me ask you, suffering, is it immaterial or material? Yes. There are a lot of times that suffering and persecution you feel in your body. Holding someone's hand, hugging someone, comforting someone, is that a spiritual gift? You bet it is. And it's material, it's physical. We need to stop with the idea that giving someone a spiritual gift something that has nothing to do with material. Giving a monetary gift to someone, is that a spiritual gift? Yes, it is. It's a gift that we don't deserve. We received freely and we are giving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer, an email, a phone call, a text message, preaching the gospel, it's all spiritual gifts. Gifts given by the Holy Spirit to His people to bless others. Frank Thielman, he writes, the term translated gift, charisma, here refers to something that's freely and graciously giving, given or a concrete expression of grace. Paul's apostleship was such a gift. 
as were other ministries and abilities that God gave to believers for the mutual edification. Any ability that God has given you is a gift that you don't deserve. Do you have anything that you deserve? No. So it's charisma. It's a gift from God. Given by His Spirit. Sometimes people think that only preaching or singing, those are gifts. No, those are gifts. Being a dentist is a gift. Organizing things. Hospitality is a gift. So many things that all of you have that God has given you freely, that's a gift that you have. And you can use to bless others. Not only can, but you must use to bless others. Paul says, and just applying that to our trip, that's exactly what took place. We, as part of this church, were able to share, to impart spiritual gifts to those Christians, to that church. Francisco told me, he said, I don't remember the last time that my heart and my soul was so refreshed. You guys have blessed me to such a way that you have no idea. You can never comprehend how much I have been blessed by you guys coming here. And you, you. So Paul explains to not have any misunderstanding. Paul says, let me move on here for sake of time. That is, verse 12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wants to avoid any misunderstanding that Paul is the superhero, that he doesn't need others. And that's how some Christians think about themselves. I don't need anybody else in my life. Not Paul. He tells those Christians in Rome, how he longs to see them because he not only is going to be ministering to them, but they are going to be ministering to him also. Paul loved to hear from other Christians what the Lord was doing in their lives, just to be with other Christians and asking them, what is the Lord doing in your life? Watching with his eyes the changes. That's why I encourage Paul. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, used you, Parakaleo, to strengthen Paul. The Holy Spirit used other people to strengthen Paul. One scholar says, This is Christian fellowship at its best. Christians is strengthening one another in their faith. Anything else, Anything less will seem superficial and unsatisfying to those who long for real communion on the deepest level. So, I finish here. And I would like us to remember the things we just saw. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit through His Word would enlarge our hearts to always give thanks to the Lord for His work in other churches. That's why it's so important for us to be reading, to be listening to what the Lord is doing. We send the emails, we send emails with the report of the missionaries that we support. And you better be reading. 
don't waste your time by not reading that. We, we tend to waste our time by, oh, okay, oh, I got this email. Usually Rick sends the email. You don't even read. And then you go to your internet, browse some worthless things when you could be reading and hearing about what the Lord is doing in these lives. And that will change our prayers. May we all pray fervently and constantly like Paul that the Lord will open doors for us to go to different places. Verse 11, For I long to see you. Oh, the beauty of true communion. To see those brothers and sisters. To smell them. And it's a smell very different from yours. To smell them, to hug them, to eat with them, to laugh with them. It's heartbreaking to see Christians who have no longing for that. Oh, we, how we should imitate Paul and long, long to see these brothers and sisters. First of all, in the church, in our local church, and then flowing from our local church to other churches all over the world to see faithful brothers. How horrible it would be for us to have adopted the return mandate. Can you imagine if we had bought into that idea that too much money sending people to Africa when you could just give money to them? Now, the blessing, the encouragement of being there. As Paul says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And that's why it's important that we support and we are involved with people whom we have doctrinal agreement because it's their faith what they believe. Because you're going to have a hard time with people who have very different doctrines from yours. And that's what Paul says, your faith, what you believe in mine, it's united. We have one faith. And when we get together from different parts of the world, we mutually build each other up. And that's exactly what we had during this trip. And I'm sure that you were encouraged. I'm sure that you were built up by the report, by what took place, by your prayers. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the willingness and the sacrifice of these wonderful brothers and sisters to send us to the other side of the globe to proclaim your good news. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would follow after Paul, that our hearts would be enlarged with gratitude for what you are doing among your people, that we would long to see other Christians, that we would long to see, that we would pray, that would open the doors for us to go more and more, and that in all this we'd be mutually edified, strengthened by your grace in your gospel. So I give you all the glory and all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.